The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Sure, can you believe it's been a decade since Riva Steenkamp was killed uh, on the Valentine's Day 2013? I'll never forget what happened on that Valentine's Day morning and just the, the absolute media spectacle that followed afterwards. Well, 10 years later today, Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner, is appearing before the parole board and uh, we know that the Steenkamps uh, are opposing that application for parole. Riva Steenkamp's mother, June, expected to make representations today. Uh, she uh, did. Uh, there were visuals of her driving in to uh, the Atridgeville prison. Uh, so we are watching what's happening there. The parole board will decide whether or not uh, the Paralympian should be let out of jail. Well, a short while ago, uh, the family lawyer for the Steenkamps, Tanya Kuhn, was answering questions from the media. Have a listen to what she was saying. The Supreme Court of Appeal found that there were inconsistencies in his testimony. He did not. He could have clarified it. He did not testify in mitigation when he was afforded the opportunity to do so. So, yes, they believe that, and they believe what the Supreme Court of Appeals found. Is this the reason why they're also opposing Oscar uh, to be released on? Correct. Yeah. Unless he comes clean, they don't feel that he's rehabilitated. In terms of what is expected to take place inside, we know that, of course, as you've indicated, Mr. Stienkamp will give those representations. Uh, Oscar is also likely uh, to testify, we understand, uh, to try and persuade, I guess, the parole board that he is a rehabilitated man. Do we know anything of uh, whether he will do so in front of Mrs. Tiankam? All right, it's not a trial. You must remember it's a parole board that's convening. They have a case management report that recommends that he's placed on parole. We know that because of a previous court application. Mrs. Tienkam gives her representations and then he has the opportunity to answer to those representations. But it's not a trial, there's no testimony involved. He has the right to say something or not. Thank you. This comes just uh, weeks after the anniversary of 10 years since the killing of Reba Steenkamp through her first door. Um, how is June doing today? And uh, can you just explain what it means to know that Reva would have been 40 this year, her life was snuffed out early, that family is still bereaved? They're absolutely still grieving, as you say. 10 years to us, it sounds so long in time, but for them, it's 10 missed birthdays, it's 10 Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmases. So time hasn't healed for them. They've learned to an extent to get used to the idea of her not being there, but they miss her every day. That's the Steenkamp's family lawyer, Tanya Kuhn, speaking to journalists outside the Atridgeville facility. That sound is courtesy of ENCA. So, of course, that is proceeding today. The parole board is hearing representations from the Steenkamp's. They'll also, as Tanya Kuhn explained, have a report. Uh, Oscar Pistorius can make representations as well. Parole, as I've said before, is a very vexed issue. It's very complex. It's not always so easy to explain. Benedict Wicks, EWN reporter, is also watching this for us. Benedict, good afternoon to you. Earlier this week, the Justice Department put out a five-page explainer 
reminding South Africans how parole works because this is not a simple thing. No, not at all. Um, so the process of obviously becoming eligible for parole uh, differs in accordance with the kind of sentence that you were given. If you were given a determinant sentence or so a specific time frame um, or if you were given life, for example, the process differs. The amount of time you need to serve behind bars before you become eligible differs. Um, and then the process itself, something that the department keeps stressing is that um, once someone becomes eligible for parole, that doesn't automatically mean they're going to be placed on parole. There's various factors that the parole board and in some cases the minister um, would have to consider before they decide whether or not someone should actually be released on parole. There's a lot of reports from social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, parole officers, um, correctional services themselves that are considered. So it's a very lengthy process. It actually starts several months before someone actually becomes eligible for parole. We know that Oscar Pistorius, of course, is massively high profile. There was so much attention on this case uh, at, at the time globally. Correctional Services has been at pains to say that he's not getting any special treatment this time. Absolutely. Um, and, and something that they've stressed is that he's not getting any special treatment in terms of any preferential treatment, but he's also not getting any um, ill treatment, essentially, because of his public profile. Um, they've made a very, a very strong point that everyone is treated equally once they're inside the facility. They're alive to his public profile, obviously, um, and to the fact that he has an elevated public profile. But for them, that really their position is that that has absolutely no bearing on the process. Bernadette, thank you very much. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, looking at that for us. Singabako Komalo, Department of Correctional Services spokesperson, is giving a press conference at the moment, speaking to journalists outside the Atridgeville Centre. Let's listen in to the tail end of that. No, remember, only... A secretary who, okay. uh, who so represents the, this year, so the I cannot go in there. The told us that June was separate to Oscar. Why was that? Was it a decision by the parole board or by the steam camps? The parole board will design its own process and follow it. Surely they may have worked on it and decided which route to take. Because at the end of the day, no party shall feel that the process was not fair. Because it will then mean the whole thing must start as flesh and end. I think we've come a long way to be where we are today. Thank you so much for doing this. Sorry, so, 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 um, just Oscar has to show the parole board that he is ready for rehabilitation. What does he have to convince them of? How does he do that? Everything is in the profile. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, that profile talks for the inmate. The, the, the reason why you have um, the, the, the parole hearing is now to say, are there any other submissions that each party uh, will, uh, will want to make? And I think it's a fair process because it's more like saying, also preparing them. Should this person be placed out, be ready for such. An inmate to say, if you are not placed out, you need to understand. But it's important that, remember, we've done the victim offender dialogue already. So it's, let's but allow this, this process. this opportunity, right, to show the parole board. No, everyone taking place there has an opportunity. How's Oscar Pistorius doing? He's an inmate who's been working quite hard. Uh, so as a department, we have to make sure that all inmates, you know, we rehabilitate them. But also you have specialists assessing them so that um, you reduce the risk of, let's say, a person is placed out. You find that um, is danger to society and a person has not been rehabilitated because it will mean the investment that the state has made was watered down the drain. Hence, it's important that inmates are rehabilitated so that when they leave correctional facilities, they go out there and make a positive contribution. That's one aspect that often is missed, why we have to rehabilitate inmates. Mm-hmm.
He did okay, have a skirmish goodness. with an inmate uh, at this very facility some years ago. Yes, yeah, so uh, But ago. has also said on record in court submissions that he's done his utmost to uh, appease and to correct himself. Are those submissions and facts going to be before the board? Everything goes into that file. Everything is processed. There is a way that an inmate is managed throughout, and there's a way in terms of resolving whatever issues that may come up, if there are any scopes or anything. But you have correctional officials who are trained in terms of how to handle inmates and how to assist them, because that is also important. Hence, we assess an inmate when it's being admitted. You don't just take a person and say, because you're admitted for a case of murder, we're dealing with that. It could be something that happened in the early stages of that particular person. Could be, there are so many things. Hence, we require specialists. We give ourselves 21 days, do that assessment, so that at the end of the day, the interventions that you ought to make respond to us assisting the person, correct offending behavior, but also assist this person to start living a positive life moving forward. If he's not granted Okay, that's Sing- Singabako Romalo, Department of Correctional Services spokesperson, speaking to the media outside the Atridgeville facility where the appeals, the parole board is currently hearing that application by Oscar Pistorius for parole. Uh, the Steenkamp's, of course, opposing that. June Steenkamp is making submissions today. As I said, it's a very complicated, very vexed issue is parole. But it is 10 years since that February 2023 shooting of Riva Steenkamp. Really, the fact that it's been a decade is astonishing. And I had never experienced anything like I did uh, regarding the media coverage of Reva's murder and Oscar's trial as well. As well, it was so extraordinary in so many ways, and it was also extremely disproportional. There, there was a huge global public interest, and I am very guilty of being part of that. I wrote an international book on the story. I did multiple interviews for news networks at the time. But when I asked about the effectiveness of, of the criminal justice system and the type of justice experienced by both Oscar and Reva, I often refer to another similar trial that was running in the courtroom next to the courtroom where Oscar's trial was being heard. Tato Kutumela was also on trial for the murder of his model girlfriend, Zanele Kumaro, who he raped and killed. And that trial didn't get nearly the same exposure and coverage that the one next door did. And that's why I was so interested today that the Wits Justice Project has done a report that was published in News 24, and it helps us to remember the other women who were killed in February 2013, and it lists them by name and what happened to them as well. Dr. Nahama Brody is the head of the Wits Justice Project at the Wits Center for Journalism. She's also the author of a book on femicide. She joins us now. Nahama, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. You, you, you say in this report, and it's, it's so crucial that, that we remember this, that it's not to say for a moment that Reva's death was not deserving of care and attention, but it does highlight how not one other case received the same kind of exposure, and this exposes both a numbness and an ambivalence towards violence in South Africa. Yeah, um, this report was written by, in fact, one of our recent graduates from the Center for Journalism, Tana Anders, and she worked with data that I built for initially my PhD, but also my book on femicide. And I asked her to go back and find the names of every single woman that I had documented who was reported in the press as having been murdered in February 2013. She also added some new information there as well. And she compiled this list. It's a really hard list to read, even when I was editing it and looking at the work. And having known these names and known these sort of deaths before, but rereading them in such numbers, um, in fact, the, the section editor there said, to me how staggered she was that this was just one month 
of deaths. And I think that's what's really important for us to remember is that here we are 10 years later, so much attention is on the perpetrator. There's often so little justice for the victims. Um, and we need to try and remember more of these names. It's so hard because there's so much violence in South Africa, but there are so many people affected. Mm, it really is, as you say, a very hard list to read, but an essential one to, to go and read as well as we spotlight the, the Reva Steenkamp murder to remember the other women who were also murdered uh, in that same month in 2013. And this uh, Reva Steenkamp, as we've always heard, is somebody who feels strongly about, felt strongly about social justice. And this is exactly the kind of article she would want us to read and share today. How how was the media coverage of Oscar Pistorius's trial representative of how other femicide cases would uh, were dealt with or are dealt with through the criminal justice system and through the media as well? It's not representative at all on almost every level. I mean, I often say to my students and colleagues that you know people look at the the trial of Oscar and they think that that's how justice works. Um, and most of the time it doesn't. You know, at the top of the story on News 24 today, there's a, a little infographic that shows of the deaths, how few resulted in a conviction. Um, and, uh, you know, and this is after many, many years. So most women who are murdered, you know, they don't, a perpetrator doesn't always get arrested. Um, somebody doesn't always go to jail for this. So the idea that there's justice at the end, first of all, is I think the one thing that's not representative. Secondly, we, I know from my own research that the coverage of Reva's uh, murder and then the subsequent court case got more attention than any other case ever, I think, that's existed in South African uh, femicide history. Um, and again, we forget that Reva's murder would have been one of that month if we're looking at between six and eight murders, uh, female homicides every single day in 28 days. <laughs> it's a lot of tests. So even this list, which is based on media reports, is not even half of what the reality would have been. And that's terrifying to try, to try and comprehend, um, to know how much we aren't covering. And when we get consumed by a big media case like this, we tend to neglect other stories. And, and I can see very clearly from research that in the month following Reva's death, far fewer femicides were covered. Dr. Nahama Brody, head of the Wits Justice Project at the Wits Centre for Journalism, also the author of a book on femicide. Thank you very much for your time speaking to us there about this article published in News 24 today, uh, the research done by the Wits Justice Project, looking at the other women, uh, other people who also died in February of 2013, the same month in which Reva Stenkamp was killed. As we focus now on this uh, this parole hearing that is taking place today, we obviously will keep an eye on that throughout the day uh, on EW and uh, we're unlikely to get a, a, an actual result today. We know that the parole board does take time. It makes a recommendation in the end, uh, and then we'll hear about it. The Midday Report. Let's go to Mangong now because the EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters, are protesting outside the Mangong facility where Tabo Besta, the Facebook rapist, sensationally escaped. We know that's been a story that has been widely discussed this week. Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter, is there for us. Khomotso, good afternoon to you. Why is the EFF protesting outside this prison? 
Good afternoon, Mandy. So the EFF is protesting for two reasons. Firstly, they want Minister Ronald Lamola to step down. They're saying that he should resign. This is grounds for resignation. They're saying it's clear that he does not have, not have control as a minister, and so he should uh, resign from his position. But they also want the contract between G4F and the Correctional Services Department to be terminated. They're saying it's not good enough that Section 112 of the Correctional Services Act has been invoked because it speaks about uh, taking temporary control of the facility. They say that the state should be able to take uh, control of the facility specifically because there is a, a correctional services facility right next door Mangalu called Hrot Play that government runs anyway. So they say they don't understand why government can't just run Mangalu the same way they run Hrot Play, which is right next door. We heard yesterday from the uh, commissioner of, of prisons about what is happening there in terms of their taking over of uh, this Mangong facility. Is that not sufficient for, for the EFF or do they feel that more should be done? Yeah, they actually feel like that does nothing for them. And I think we should take a listen to our provincial chairperson, Mapeula Dipuk, who has to say, I think he sums up really well the sentiments of the EFF. If they say they have taken back power, I mean, they don't even have it. So it's, 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 they, they don't have it in themselves to take power. What they need to do is terminate the contract. And in fact, they'll, they, they need to abolish tender premiership. These tenders are killing our, our government. This is a service that needs to be dispatched by the government itself, but is unable to do so because they really want to line the pockets of politicians in these multinational companies. So what we need to, what they need to do is just eradicate, just cut the contract. We no longer want it. We believe that the state has it in their power to, to, to dispatch the same service. They're doing it here in next step. So we don't understand what's wrong with this. Khamoto, aside from what's happening at Mangong, of course, there is still a, a hunt that is underway for Tabo Besta. Uh, we heard from the commissioner yesterday. He didn't want to give too much away about uh, about that, that hunt for Tabo Besta. Have we heard anything else subsequently about where Tabo Besta may be or how close the police are to potentially rearresting him? Police are actually remaining uh, remaining on that, Mandy. They are saying they don't want to reveal much on their investigation except the fact that they do have a track and tracing system that is on the ground both day and night. So for now, nothing on Tabo Vesta. Um, we all just wait as police do their job. Khomoto, thank you. Khomoto Madisa, EWN reporter in Mangong Fast, the economic freedom fighters, the EFF. Excuse me, are currently protesting outside that facility in Mangong about G4S security being involved in there, about the privatization of prisons as well. Your thoughts on that as Tabo Besta still remains at large, uh, the police saying they are still tracking him with that track and trace team. The Midday Report. Lots of turbulence in the various metros in Gauteng yesterday. The Kuruleni mayor being voted out and being replaced. Uh, and uh, today, the new Tswani mayor, Silias Brunk, has announced his mayoral committee. Uh, Ten MMCs, including five councillors from the DA, two from Action SA and Freedom Front Plus, and one from the IFP. Interestingly, no ACDP uh, members on the mayoral committee. They are saying that they feel that they have been used and abused. Uh, there are also three councillors 
returning from the previous administration. A lot of uh, concern about the fact that the MMC for Finance, Peter Sutton, has come back again, uh, despite the fact that there are concerns with the finances in Tswane. Tobiso Goba, EWN reporter, is in Tswane for us. Tobiso, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, we've heard Tosilias Brink uh, naming his MMCs today. What has he outlined? What objectives does he have for his MMCs? Uh, hi, Mandy. Well, I think what the the, the, the mayor wants the MMCs to do is obviously, I think the first one, as you mentioned, there, is just showing up of the city's finances uh, because we do know there was an adverse audit report. But he's also said that um, there will also be performance um, assessments uh, on the mayor. So he will be assessing how well they are performing, um, how well they are on the ground, and also just um, how well they also um, scrutinize these reports uh, that they get from our city officials. Uh, Brink also uh, reinstating the MMC for finance, Peter Sutton. He served under the same portfolio uh, during the time of Randall Williams. Williams then resigned because there was that damning audit. So what is Brink saying about the decision to rehire Sutton? Yes, well, um, as you mentioned, Mandy, that, that you know, the damning audit report did lead to the resignation of the mayor. But it also... Um, led to the firing of the city's chief financial officer. So there's quite a lot of, um, you know, um, consequences uh, re- uh, from that audit report. So it was obviously very interesting uh, when today we saw someone who has the political oversight for the finance uh, for the finance uh, portfolio within the department. But what um, Celia Brink said is, one, they are doing investigations. And then secondly, um, at the basis of this is that um, the report that came to uh, the MMC for Finance's desk, uh, Peter Sutton, were manipulated, but um, we did obviously ask him more further questions, and this is what the mayor had to say about his reinstatement of uh, Peter Sutton. What was discovered from what I believe the assessment was, but obviously we'll have to dig in, and if we find anything else, we'll have to be open about it and declare it. But what I believe occurred, and this is the working hypothesis, is that much of the information that was placed before the mayoral committee was not founded in fact, was not supported by evidence. So even your legislated reports, which served before the mayoral committee, were not credible. Action has, to an extent, been taken already in the fact that the CFO is no longer in his position. The CFO has got a crucial fiduciary position. But I think the mistake, if there was one from a political leadership point of view, it was an over-reliance on the officialdom. Experience has clearly taught us that we cannot in all instances rely on the advice of officials. Tabiso, uh, we also, oh, oh, we just lost Tabiso, unfortunately, he's dropped off the line. I wanted to ask him about what is happening with the position of speaker, um, because there is still going to be that motion of no confidence in, in the speaker. I think that's something that we'll watch next week. But today, the uh, newly elected Swani Mayor Salias Brunk announcing his mayoral committee. The Midday Report. News breaking overnight that the Former President of the United States, Donald Trump, has in fact finally been indicted, the first U.S. President to face criminal charges. A New York grand jury indicting him over hush money payments made to a porn star during his 2016 campaign. Uh, Lots of developments around that. Will he hand himself over as he's expected to do? Dr. Bob Wakesa is the Deputy Director at the African Center for the Study of the United States, Wits University, visiting fellow at the University of Southern California. 
Bukesa Center on Communication, Leadership and Policy. Joining us now, Dr. Bukesa, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, this was uh, much anticipated. The fact that a former, uh, a former president has now been indicted, he's facing criminal charges. How significant is this? No, this is major. This is uh, significant because, uh, as we know, Trump uh, announced uh, his bid for the presidency you know, in the next elections. Uh, he did that in November. Uh, what it means, therefore, now that he's being held uh, to, to the courts, to the courts of law, means that he will be fighting uh, legal battles, which will leave a little room for him on the political end of things, on the political platform. But it at the same time means that um, it um, uh, invigorates uh, his base, as it's uh, often called, the Republican uh, right wing, which will then say, no, look, this is political persecution. In fact, following the narrative that uh, Trump himself is pushing, which might even make it uh, look like the Democrats are actually just targeting uh, a popular representative of their Mm. views. Uh, And therefore, that um, uh, complicates things both on the Republican end of things and the Democratic end of things. But even more importantly, it could actually cause violence. Uh, in the U.S. He is already leveraging this. He's appealing uh, to his base to donate money to to help him uh, with his legal fees against this. Uh, He's expected to hand himself over on Tuesday. We know from what happened uh, previously in the United States at the Capitol, with that being stormed, uh, that you know, this may not go the way that that, that it's anticipated that, that it could go. Uh, do we expect him to just hand himself over, or could there be some kind of, of uh, other development around this? No, I fully expect that he will hand himself over. Uh, and, and this is, uh, you know, because... If he doesn't, he knows very well that law enforcement agencies in the U.S. will uh, do their work, the security apparatus, uh, and it will be even further embarrassment for him. And and I, I think uh, even though he has a, a very invigorated, very strong base, they can't stand the firepower of uh, the security uh, you know, system in the U.S. So I think to avoid um, a situation where he's held to the court's you know, kind of uh, by force, he will hand himself over. However, what that means is that uh, New York is going to be some uh, quote-unquote kind of uh, battleground uh, because I suppose uh, the right-wing uh, populist kind of people will be moving to New York to try and, uh, you know, demonstrate protest and, and so forth. So I think we look forward to some kind of drama in New York. Dr. Bob Wakesa, thank you very much for your time today, Deputy Director of the African Center for the Study of the United States. This is going to be fascinating to see how this plays out because former President of the United States, Donald Trump, has now been indicted and he is due to appear in court on Tuesday. The Midday Report. So breaking news yesterday that the 2023 IPL, the Indian Premier League, is not going to be screened on South African TV. That's because Supersport couldn't secure the broadcast rights for this year's tournament. It's left a lot of people disappointed, a lot of people outraged as well. The IPL starts today. It runs all the way through until the end of May. There are 17 South Africans playing in this year's competition. So let's speak to Nkobile Ndlovu, who's a sports finance expert from Cash and Sport. He broke the story uh, about what happened with the IPL contract. And Kobili, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. What is Supersport saying about why they couldn't secure it? Is this all about money at this point? 
Well, they didn't specifically say why they couldn't secure the rights. They, they, what they, and good afternoon, by the way. What they did say is that they, they uh, pitched into to, uh, to bid for the rights initially, and then they went to the rights holder, who was Viacom 18, and asked to purchase the rights, but they were too expensive. So essentially, that's that's what it came down to. It came down to an issue of money, and them not being able to afford it. Is there still a chance that this could be rescued, Mobile? Could Supersport still find a deal? Uh, could the SABC get a deal? Is there any way that we can watch this uh, in South Africa? Well, the the trouble is that these rights, uh, Viacom 18, for context, paid uh, about 57 billion rand for these um, for these rights, which is about three billion dollars. Uh, Supersport or multi-choice groups' entire revenue for 20, in June 2022 was about 58 billion rand. So it's it's the money is just too much. It's 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 too expensive. And for the SABC, they wouldn't even dream of, of being able to afford that. Yeah, I must say, uh, listen, I'm possible. sorry, I even asked that question. Actually, Tolakele, our sports reader, is in the studio laughing at me for asking that question. So apologies. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just too much money, and uh, there is a possibility that they could go and request sub-license rights for specific matches, but for them to get rights to the entire competition, I don't think is currently possible. And what are the knock-on effects of this? Uh, the fact that as South Africa, we can't watch the IPL. We've just obviously hosted a very successful SA20. Um, does this impact on our relations at, at all with that? Uh, are, are there knock-on effects? No, it won't affect our relations at all with SA20 or the um, or the IPL or anything to that effect. What it will affect is is the number of South Africans able to watch sport on a single platform, and that's going to change. South Africans essentially have been spoiled over the last 30 or so years with with, with multi-choice and DSTV providing content or all the sports content on one platform. It doesn't really exist in the world that that model, and it's going to stop in South Africa because. You know, the rights will get more and more expensive. The EPL rights are coming up for for renewal, um, and other rights are coming up for renewal, which will be expensive. And and, uh, as other players come in, such as Amazon and Google and so on and so on, we're going to struggle to compete as super sports Mm. in South Africa. Nkobile, thank you very much. Nkobile Ndlovo, sports finance expert from Cash and Sport. They broke that story yesterday uh, about the IPL. And I personally am very disappointed. I understand that it's just massively expensive, but I would be, I'd love to watch the IPL. Uh, so it's not going to be screened on South African television because Supersport could not secure the broadcast rights. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.